Welcome to the Food and Faith Podcast, conversations from the soil and around the table with your co-hosts, Anna Wolfenden, Derek Weston, and Sam Chandler. Welcome back, Food and Faith Podcast listeners. And uh, what, let's see, we also have with us today, welcome back, Anna. What's going on, Anna? Glad to be here with this crew this morning. And we got Derek, which means it's a full host pod today. Derek, how you been, buddy? Doing all right. Doing all right. How are you, Sam? I'm good enough as we as we record today. It's blizzarding outside, so I'm tucked in the uh, tucked in the office, nice and warm. Me and the fish, um, and we also have one of our very favorite res- uh, resident theologians for the pod, Wilson Dickinson. Wilson, what's up, buddy? Not much. It's a good Monday morning here in Kentucky. And so we're going to set out on a slightly different pod today, as we've been talking about some of the things that we could offer on the pod. It occurred to us that. At least the three regular co-hosts are have all pastored at some point or another and are regular speakers. Um, and Wilson is a very experienced and knowledgeable theologian. Maybe we should tackle a little bit of Bible. It also occurred to us that as we enter into the Lenten season, there is so much about Lent that cycles around food. Whether, you know, however folks engage with Lent, often they do so in ways that involve food. And certainly our texts have something to say about land and food as well. So we thought, you know what? Why don't we dive into some of our texts for uh, for this season, take a look at them, and just kind of kick it around and 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 sort of do a uh, do an open conversation, or as Wilson called it before we logged on, a jam session, and just say, hey, let's see what we can pull out of these texts that might be of use to those who are sitting in communities of faith or leading communities of faith, and see how these texts might speak into those communities. And so, if we're good, let's roll with that, shall we? We arrive at Lent at a really odd time in our own lives and in the life of faith communities in general. Um, A lot of us are getting ready to observe um, one year of being closed, or at least one year of not being able to worship and to practice our faith in ways that have traditionally made sense to us and in pathways that have made sense to us. Um, All you know, we are a lot of us are anticipating coming back in some way. Um, but there's a lot of added pressures and a lot of added realities around Lent 2021. And so I wonder just how you all have thought about this season of Lent, both in preparing to lead communities of faith and in your own spirit. What are some of the things you all are wrestling with? Um, if that involves food, great. You know, maybe there's some other things going on in your spirit. But just how are you approaching Lent in 2021? Well, I'll I'll jump in and say I am not feeling particularly inclined to give anything up this year. Um, I feel like this has been a year of giving things up and not feeling uh, deprivation is really a need right now. Um, you know, I am I am thinking about, you know, there's a lot of um, uh, preparation. There's, there's a lot of things of like, uh, the conversation in my house has been a lot around how do we want to be when this ends? How do we want, what lessons have, has the pandemic taught us? And, and as we are actually starting to see sort of a light at the end of the tunnel, what are the things that we want to make sure that we've learned? What are the things that we want to make sure that we actually take away that we, we actually don't go back to business as usual because business as usual wasn't great. Um, so, so that's really where I am. That's really where I am right now in Lent is really, less of a deprivation, less of a giving things up and more of a reflective, um, almost preparation for, for the re-entry into whatever the world is on the other side of the pandemic. 
I, I really feel a, a great resonance with that. And I mean, and, and I think that's what Lent in general probably should be. I'm, I'm a little wary of kind of the individualistic and heroic aspects of our spiritual tradition. Um, I think sometimes Lent can fall into that. But, you know, Lent is about the Jesus in the wilderness, right? And Jesus is a guy, but he's also a figure, right? Jesus goes through the water and then is in the wilderness for 40 days, or he's, it's a figure for, for Israel, for the Exodus, and for, you know, kind of a new creation. And so, so I think that, you know, oftentimes we'll, we'll, we look at Lent as what we individually give up or about kind of trying to deepen our own personal experience. But what it's about is about the body of Christ in the wilderness. Um, and I, I feel like this year we're, we're maybe feeling that a little more. And while we are more separated from each other, I, I really echo kind of Derek's call to, to think about, you know, to, to use this as a season of discernment for, for what, it, what our communal life can look like when spring comes. Yeah, both of those resonate with me. I think the wilderness image has been very present since last Lent, you know, and in some ways I feel like we haven't left the wilderness um, in terms of, you know, like you said, Sam, doing church in ways that we are unfamiliar with. Um, they're, you know, being separate, being, having the very suffering. And, um, but I'm also remembering, you know, this last Sunday was the first Sunday of Lent and we had the reading of Jesus's baptism and then he sent us by the spirit into the wilderness. And just that line of, you know, the, the, with the, when the um, heavens parted and the spirit descended like a dove and saying this, you are my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And just really, really kind of resting and wrestling with what does it mean to go into the wilderness knowing you're beloved? Like that feels like such a different, a different way to walk through a wilderness um, not as a place of exile and suffering necessarily, but maybe actually as a place set apart to remember our belovedness. Um, and that's, you know, along with like, I don't, this blend, I don't think the thing that I need or my congregation or maybe as need is like a more reminders of, of suffering or sacrifice, but instead that more gentle holding of, yep, it's a wilderness. Yep. Still in the wilderness, but we go into the wilderness. We are held in the wilderness in, in that belovedness and not just in a singular individual way, but collectively that we're, and we hold one another as beloved. Um, and I was also reminded this Sunday that with the text that Jesus wasn't actually alone in the wilderness and thinking about um, ecology and food and interconnection, the wild beasts were with him. And what does that mean too? That, you know, we, we haven't been maybe in our sanctuaries or with one another ways, but I, I know a lot of us have spent more time in nature and those of you who have access to, to animals, you know, that there's that, there's that, that connection still is happening. And, and so I'm curious about that too. And that, I don't know, I think that often the wilderness is, is kind of the, brings up these like stark images and, in reality, there's something very, very rich and connected to, to creation and to the, the world around us, even if it may, might not be with other humans, but that there is, there is a, a togetherness um, in, the, in that wilderness time. Yeah, I think there's definitely a vacuousness to our imagination about who our companions are on this journey. Um, you know, and we are, we are so very, very quick to get to alone. And I affirm that, you know, like I understand that, but we are 
surrounded, you know, by a variety of communities. And what does that look like? I absolutely, you know, feel that right now. Like I said, the, the pig Susan out in the barn is, <laughs> is a very important companion right now. And, and I do feel that for me though, like I'm really struck, you know, it's been surprising for me as a pastor to hear my congregation constantly saying, and we're all kind of saying it, the last thing I need is to give something up. And I think I even tweeted, maybe I need to give up giving things up for this Lent. Um, and that feels authentic to where I'm at. But as I hear people saying, you know, I just don't need to give this up. It does, it does speak to like the power of our culture's consumerism to shape everything. Um, to the point where it's almost like, like, I mean, we, we have, and, and maybe it's just because we're on, we're still in relative proximity to Christmas. Um, you know, we just got through Valentine's day for those who observe that. Um, and like the Easter candy is already starting to show up, you know, like the St. Patrick's day and Easter stuff is already starting to show up. And like, like, like we're used to those things being consumerized, if you will. But listening to people talk about Lent, it's like we're even take these, taking these times of asceticism and making them consumerist driven, where it's like, you know, what are you like, you know, how are you getting your finances in order, which is a great thing. But, you know, like or how are you losing weight or, you know, how are you making yourself a better person kind of thing like and that that takes on the tones of a capitalist or a monetized kind of thing, which is which just feels like it can go sideways very, very easily. Um, you know, and so as folks are saying, well, I don't need to give these things up. We're almost holding on to things sometimes, you know, in, in Lent to sort of preserve a consumerism. And so I'm, I'm just overwhelmed by that as a pastor and trying to figure out, okay, how do we talk about these seasons that it really is about spiritual formation, about growth and about life. And that's really where my mindset has been. Um, what's life-giving for me this year is not what has been life-giving for me in past years. There have been times giving stuff up has been unbelievably life-giving. It just isn't going to be this year. Um, the things that I have in place may be some form of self-medication at times. Like, I've given up video games in the past. Like, no, 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 no. Like, that's not happening this year. Like, I need a place to go and just, like, unwind and just, like, and, you know, I I love playing sports games, like just compete for a second when I can't compete with my friends, you know, and against my friends. So I'm just becoming, so it is, it really is about self-aware. Like there is a self-awareness aspect to it, but I'm like, I don't need to allow this to be overwhelmed by consumerism, buying things, trying to shape myself into an image of something that I'm not allowing other people to tell me who I am when, as Anna so aptly pointed out, we're the beloved child of God. Um, and that's a, that, that's a great place to start. So that's where my reflection is. Um, and it's definitely a different take. And I'm kind of excited about the season. Are you allowed to be excited about Lent? Um, but I kind of am because I feel like there's a growth edge for a lot of us. I was reminded by a colleague that um, we kind of use this language, like we celebrate the liturgical seasons. And, but we don't usually use that with Lent. And she was pointing out, like, what if we actually celebrated Lent? Like, what if we celebrated the season of Lent? Like, what are the gifts that Lent gives? Um, yeah, I saw somebody say Lent can't be a burden. And I'm like, like, that's not what the liturgical season, the seasons are not about burdening us. They're about, they're about bringing us closer to God. And so I've been thinking, you know, in some ways Lent, we intentionally burden ourselves. Like I've felt that, you know, like I've, and I've done that on purpose at times. And that has been, that has, again, that has been life-giving for me, but what does it look like for Lent to be a blessing? How is it a different blessing? How do we think about it in different ways? And yeah, how do we celebrate it in a way that's actually about faith? And not about, you know, 
other forces which are inviting us to, to serve other purposes. Um, I think you're absolutely right. Let's use the word celebrate and see what happens when we celebrate Lent as opposed to endure it. Well, and I think one of the, the dynamics you name, I, I think it, it emerged so like this dynamic of Lent being about kind of this individualized, consumerized aspect resonates with something that goes deep into the to our tradition where we, we look at giving something up as renunciation and it's something that then confers like this kind of virtue on to an individual. Whereas I think like the giving up that the gospel is about is not about anything that happens to the individual. It's that you give up certain kinds of structures and powers, right? That's what's going on in the wilderness for the sake of the commons. And you actually, what you gain is a community. What you gain is the earth. What you gain is the abundance of, the, of God's good creation. And, you know, we've kind of individualized this giving up, you know, because it, it falls within these, these other hierarchical modes of, well, then you get, you know, this virtue and, you know, you put yourself above of others, et cetera, et cetera. So I suggest we use that as a jumping off point, as a, as sort of a guiding principle, as we walk through a couple of, a couple of these readings. Um, so we sat down together and kind of said, what are some of the readings, you know, we don't necessarily have the time to go through every reading of Lent, but we thought we might pick out two that might resonate with our with our audience and just kind of talk through them a little bit. So we picked out the gospel readings for the third and the fifth Sunday in Lent. So we'd like to read them um, and just kind of pass them around. But I love this idea of kind of reading them through the lens of how does how does giving up, if that's what we do, or other ways of, of, of observing and celebrating Lent, how do they contribute to sort of a commons, a, a, a healthier and, and more meaningful community? And so, Derek, I think you're going to read uh, the, the gospel lesson for the third Sunday in Lent. We'll start there, and uh, we'll see where this journey takes us. Sure. Um, so the gospel lesson is uh, John chapter 2, verses 13 to 22, a story we all know fairly well. Uh, the Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, what sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, this temple has been under construction for 46 years, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Welcome to Lent, Jesus throwing people out of the temple. <laughs> And this is the version where he makes a whip, which is my favorite version. Yes. Is, <laughs> yes, we get salty Jesus. Very, very salty Jesus here in this text. Um, and this is a complicated, like, this is a hard story for people sometimes to process. When we have, and if, if we can use this image for a second, sort of the white, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, long-haired Jesus that hangs in so many of our white churches' sanctuaries. Um, this one really rubs across the grain of that, which makes it, I don't know if it's a favorite. It feels very Lenten and like there's something beautiful about this, but it's uncomfortable. It feels very Lenten. It, 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 it feels like Lent to me. And so I wonder just sort of where your all's first instincts go as you process this passage. 
One of the things that really jumped out at me is just that image of things being turned over, like the tables being turned over, animals being drived out, driven out. Um, and, you know, I think we use this phrase a lot, like we need to upend our food systems, right? We need to, to, to not just, it's not just a tweak, right? That these systems are not at this point where it's just like, oh, we just need to kind of, need to kind of adjust how let's say our food system, we could talk about all these interconnected systems. Um, it's, it's not, um, it's not a little thing. It's actually this complete upending and clearing out and reordering and reprioritizing. And I find myself both being like kind of excited and terrified by that because I like, can cite it in a way of like, wow, right. Okay there is a, a whole nother way that we could be operating in the world. And then also gracious, that is going to, that's going to take something from me. Like that's going to be about giving up something, right. You know, giving up some of my own, my own privilege and, and uh, engagement in ways that are comfortable and serve me. And so that was kind of the first thing that jumped out. Um, it's just this, this call for a, a massive change about the way that we are oriented to one another to money to organization to god to community that 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 those tables were turned <laughs> and, and i think that kind of systemic scope is is even clear when we chew on a little more like you know what is the temple you know and the temple is both like the you know the microcosm of the macrocosm right so it's like this sacred space where all of creation is represented but it's also central bank it's the place where the sanhedrin meet right so it's the place of political power um and, and so it's like it's all these things mixed into one and then on the passover right so on the day of remembrance of, of liberation from egypt and covenant with god uh and passover is also the the festival of barley right which is you know so growing season happens and you know the, the rains come in winter in judea and, and Galilee, and then the first thing to, that's, that's ripe is the barley, and barley is kind of coarser, and so it's the bread of the poor. And so on Passover, this uh, time where all these people are flooding into Jerusalem, um, especially in, in, in a time where, where people are remembering liberation from empire, Jesus goes to the place of power <laughs> and turns over those tables. And and it, I mean, it's, it's, it's a move, I think, that's it's kind of hard to hear sometimes because you know we have religion compartmentalized, but it's it's really systemic in scope and what's being done. Yeah, it really is, um, and that that sort of systemic thing, like this this passage, expands the circle for me of what considerations are made as we think about economics from a point of view of faith. Um, and I don't always mean to be the animal guy, but I'm struck that the animals are named. Um, and that they are also driven out. Um, and that is, that, is, that is specifically and clearly named. It's not just the people are a problem. And so let's replace the people, but keep the system in place. Let's keep all the animals where they are. Let them continue to function the way they're functioning. We just need to replace the people who are in charge of the system. It is the entire system, top to bottom, from, from the priests and the Sanhedrin all the way down to the doves that is driven out um, which and which of course leaves a vacuum for people to to reimagine what an economic and a political and a religious system, which in the temple are all tied together, um, 
gives them space to reimagine what that might look like. And so, um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm just, that's what I'm thinking. It's not just replacing pieces of a system. It really is systemic in terms of the invitation to think about everything all the way down to the things that we consume or that we use, even things we consume and use for religious purposes. They are not, they are not left out and untouchable where Jesus invites us to think about our cattle and our sheep and our doves differently. Think about the sacrifices we bring into church differently. Um, so again, I don't always mean to be the animal guy, but that, but I read it in a way that, wow, I hadn't actually seen that before. One of the things that I, you know, it's, I was also going to pick up on the animals thing. Oh, sorry. Sam, and I think you, you, you added some depth there that I, I didn't have. Um, but I think that there is, there is something that I think calls for some interrogation for us in the 21st century when we think about our relationship to these animals. Um, when, we, when we think about animals as part of the marketplace, when we think of animals as part of an economic system and particularly part of an of a of a of a tiered economic system i mean part of what's happening here is cattle sheep doves and 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 the 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 fact that jesus's like actual harshness is is at those who are selling the doves which would be to you know the folks who are selling to the folks who are at the bottom rung of the society um, I think, you know, in, in, in terms of thinking about what we do here at, at the Food and Faith podcast, there's a real, there are questions to be asked about what, what it means to have animals as part of our market system, not just animals as part of a food system, but animals as part of a market system, and particularly as part of a tiered system where certain animals are reserved for certain classes of people. And certain and certain animals are inaccessible to certain classes of people. Um, this is, you know, this is the system that Jesus is overturning. You know, to bring it full circle back to to Anna's part, this is, um, you know, we're we're seeing it played out in terms of animals here, but it's but it's it's all sorts of questions of access and 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 uh, and privilege and. Um, that's what's being overturned that's what's being that's what's being challenged it's it's not just that this is the the you know some of these activities are activities that are absolutely necessary and some of these activities are activities that are are that can be honoring to god but the way that this is set up is set up to say some are better than some are less than some are 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 holier some are less holy um, some have more access to God and God's grace and God's love, and some have less because of their economics. And, and you know, absolutely. Like, I mean, this, I, and I, I do, I love this story. I, I, I will be very honest. Like, this is, this is my favorite Jesus. Like, this is, this is, <laughs> this is the Jesus that I, I like absolutely the most because, um, you know, uh, the, the, the meme that says, you know, whenever someone says, what would Jesus do? Remember that turning over tables is an option. Um, <laughs> that, that, 
like this is this is a genus who I think um, speaks to a need for radical change in societies, um, and um, and and gets angry about the injustice and gets angry about this tiered system and gets angry about um, seeing exploitation and gets angry about seeing these things happening in God's name. Um, yeah, I vibe with that Jesus. And like, I, I, I think that's, that's, that's a Jesus we, we probably need a little bit more of. Yeah, it's it's and it strikes me that he's not out in the regular marketplace, if that makes sense. Right. He's in the temple. Like this is a system that is blessed by the religious systems of the time and is facilitated, um, which is not unlike the times that we find ourselves in, where there are certain certain economic systems that are facilitated by faith communities and blessed by faith communities that ultimately create tiered societies. So yeah, this Jesus turning over the tables feels very relevant to me. Like Anna, I kind of wish it wasn't. It's a little, it's a, like there there are, it is very lengthy. And like, wait a second, what is this asking me to give up? But nevertheless, it does invite me to at least look at my own faith community and say, what is it we're inadvertently or or purposefully blessing that maybe is outside of the will of God? I, I, I really like this story too. And also I really like how John puts it at the front, right? So it, this is, you know, this is the first of three Passovers in John, and it's right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And 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 it's and it's a challenge to again all these systems and 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 to the piety, right? So I mean, the the ruling ideology is always the ideology of the ruling class, and I, how much does that affect our churches, right? And and how much you know are our churches the places that spiritualize jesus or how much are our churches the places that follow jesus and i think it's 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 really challenging and it's it's also i mean that's in in this season as the church has kind of had this giant disruption i wonder what what it's going to come back to i mean i don't know which one's going to be more comfortable yeah well it makes me think a lot about you know we were talking earlier about this needs to be a gentle lent and it's not about giving up and things and you know sam needs to keep playing his video games and i I need Netflix and, you know, thank you. Okay. I was well, like, oh, yeah, I'm not no, the you're, only you're, one here. Um, um, <laughs> you, you, so, and I think there's something to that. Like, it's not about suffering at the same time. We're, we're in the midst of multiple pandemics. We are maybe seeing systems collectively more clearly for how broken they are. And God is asking us to give up something this Lent, right? God is asking us to give up what, we're always asked to give up, but maybe we can see it more clearly right now, which is our dependence on systems that are about having power over other people and about exploitation and about oppression and about injustice. And we are being asked to give that up. And that's a much bigger ask than, you know, chocolate or. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sorry, you may not get skinny this Lent, but we might actually be a healthier community. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and that's yeah. And one more thing, just uh, going back to Wilson talking about the placement of this in John's Gospel. The 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 thing about the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, make it feel like you know it was building towards this, and this was the straw that broke the camel's back, and then this happened, and then Jesus got crucified. 
John's placement of it makes it feel like he did this every year. And I kind of love that too. That that this is like every year someone like by year three, they were like, oh no, he's doing it again. Here, oh, no. here, here, here he comes. <laughs> and and that he wasn't just a one-time disruptor of the system. He was a constant re- reminder of the injustice of the system. So I I really like John's place. I, I really like I really like the story and I really like John's version of it. <laughs> and I, I, I just want to say to all the John haters out out there, and there are plenty of them, <laughs> this story, yes, th- this story rubs against the grain that John's the one who got it the most wrong. I I love the John of Jesus. And Derek, I, I Or the Jesus of that. John, you mean? That's what I meant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And so we're gonna so we're gonna put a bookmark there, um, and we'd love to continue the conversation as our listeners um, continue to think about these passages and invite you to shoot some ideas back. But we're gonna jump ahead to the fifth Sunday of Lent, um, and we're gonna read the gospel lesson from there, which comes to us from John chapter twelve. And Anna, if you could read that for us. Yeah. So this is John chapter twelve, verses twenty through thirty-three. Now, among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now, my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said it was thunder. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. The gospel of the Lord. All right. And so let's let's dive into this one. And there is some agricultural imagery here for us to work with, but that doesn't mean that's where we need to start. So reflections on this passage. Well, I just think we need to just say up front that like grains of wheat don't act, seeds don't actually die. Yes. <laughs> Like, I just feel like this is an important agricultural collect- corrective here. <laughs> but like the amazing thing about seeds is that they look like they are dead and yet they have the incredible potential life and potential of life inside them. And um, I don't think it can- takes away from the message, but I think it's an important point to make. Say, so you're saying <laughs> Jesus doesn't have this 100% correct biologically. Is that what you're saying? I mean... <laughs> I'm sure he's like speaking in metaphor and all, but I just think that it's a it's a, the the incredible um, life giving nature of seeds 
the plant dies, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, he, he has a point, but but yes. So the seed, the seed doesn't die, but it is cracked open. It is broken apart. Yes. And I, I, I think, you know, we can get all sciencey and technical about it, but, I, but it, again, we don't, we don't miss the larger point that like for life to happen, something has to be broken apart. And I, I think there's a couple things that come out of this. You know, I, 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 Sam, you've said this many times and this in connection with our food system that we have to understand that for us to eat period, something has to die. And, and we, again, have created sort of hierarchies of things that we don't want to die, but something's going to have to die for us to eat. And, and part of that is a, what that does is give us a different respect for what life is and the various forms that life takes and gratitude for the things that have to die to sustain life. Um, which is what this does, I think, for Jesus's followers is like, there is a gratitude and an awe of, of this thing that they don't, in, in the story, don't know is um, going to happen, but for the author is trying to create reverence for this, this thing that is going to give life to the world. Um, and, and, you know, Jesus as a seed is not a metaphor we use very often and maybe one that we should use more. I mean, we, we use, you know, the kingdom of, of heaven as a mustard seed and, and, but like we, but Jesus as a seed is not one that we use very often. And I think is actually um, pretty beautiful because see a single seed, you know, um, how much more life comes from one tomato seed, you know, tomatoes are, fresh on my mind because I planted some this weekend. Um, but, but you know, how many more, much more of, of a, a plant and then a fruit and then more seeds come from that one seed. And, and so I, I kind of love the idea of thinking of Jesus as a seed. Well, I just, I, I think that, that that difference in metaphor is so important, right? So, so often when we're thinking about the death of Jesus and so then also what salvation means and what discipleship even means, it's, it's juridical and priestly metaphors, right? And this is an agricultural metaphor. And so it, it takes us into a space that's ecological, a space that's about nourishment, um, but, then, but then also one that's not just rosy, right? So, I mean, I, I so often, I think, I think one of the things, you know, so we were talking about system change earlier and, and this passage is also about, you know, the, the ruler of the world, <laughs> the whole order of the world's changing. I think I oftentimes get kind of frustrated with, the communities I work with and with myself, because I approach system change, imagining that like, you know, there's all these kind of all this freshness or all this power and privilege with the communities I'm working with. But I think that actually, and, and this is something that Lent in this past year has made clear, I think we're all traumatized, right? And we're not just traumatized by COVID, we're traumatized by intergenerational violence and broken systems. And I'm realizing more and more that like the, the rooms I show up in, people are struggling just to be there, right? They're, they are just struggling to hold it all together. And, and in the face of trauma, you want order, right? You, you need something that that's, that's how you put things back together is you trust that the world is ordered. And, and so, I, so I think that part of what Christ is telling us here then, right? With, with his death is 
or with, with talking about his death in this way, and with talking about the path of servanthood in this way, is that, you know, we, is that there is this trauma that we're dealing with, right? The, the path to change, we aren't starting with a clean slate, right? We're starting with a mess. Um, but that actually, that, that built into this creation is that new life comes out of the mess. But we have to kind of realize that that's, that's where we're at. We can't just pretend like, you know, everything is clean and fresh and, and now we get to do the system over. It's, we start from the mess. I wanted to ask, because we, we sort of started talking about celebrating Lent, and it occurs to me that this happens when they're headed to a festival. Um, I could look this up if I wanted to. I just haven't yet. So I'm curious if we know what that festival is. Um, and if we do, does that does that shape how we understand the story at all? <laughs> so so there, there, this is the third Passover of John. And so the first Passover is going into Jerusalem, disrupting the temple. The second one is the feeding of the 5,000, um, which is so much to talk about there. Another, another wilderness feeding. And now we're going back into Passover. But John does this really interesting thing where he, where it's, they don't have a Passover meal. Um, instead, there's a washing of feet. And, and there's this really interesting reading that comes out of um, Korean Minjung uh, theology, right? So the theology of the people that, that, again, wants to say that John is not spiritualizing things. He actually wants to disrupt this movement that's going on in the church um, to compartmentalize spirituality, right? And so they want to say that, that, that the John community disrupts what Passover is about in the other Gospels because they don't want it to be spiritualized into the Eucharist. They want it to be about servant foot washing, right? And so that's part of what Jesus is setting up here. Mm. Well, and I'm just, so it's always helpful when you, you know, open the passage in the context of the chapter. This comes right after the triumphal, triumphant entry, right? So in our liturgical calendar, this is the week before Palm Sunday, but in the text, this text comes directly after what we would call it the Palm Sunday stories and readings, which I think that contextualizes it in a powerful way as well, that this is, this is right after Jesus marches into Jerusalem, all about upending systems and about changes of power, and that the people are looking for something that is a, a massive shift in how, how power is used, and that that's the context within with those passages within i wonder if there's something to be said for this is a this is a thing i've never really paid much attention to in this passage but it, it begins with um jesus being sought out by greek followers um and there's sort of this urgency that jesus is is operating with as the gospel is becoming more inclusive like as the gospel is becoming this as his movement is becoming a broader more inclusive movement i i don't know exactly what to do with that that is a that is a fresh completely unformed not not thought through uh observation but i i think there there's something to be said i mean like john is is making intentional um giving intentional importance to the fact that this is said after after outsiders are essentially coming up into this very Jewish festival 
and saying we want to meet Jesus. Um, there's, 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 again, if, if we, if we take it to the metaphor that, that falls immediately after, like this is, this is about the abundance of life that is going to come from this, this one fallen seed that is going to, again, be this very inclusive, uh, uh, image of life that has been, uh, more expansive than what people have experienced before. Um, again, not thought through, but it, it just really jumped out at, at, at me as I, as I was reading this time. No, but I think you've tapped into something important because you know, we do have this sort of outsidery thing, these Greeks who want to see Jesus. And then at the end of this particular pericope, you know, Jesus says, when I am lifted up, meaning by his cross, I will draw all people to myself. Um, right. And I am, I'm just kind of a wash as you, as you, re, as you point that out, just a wash in this ag metaphor, speaking to diversity and abundance, mm. um, which is not often what we think out of ag communities. Often we think of monoculture and a total lack of diversity. And so there is sort of a, a, a different narrative that, that Jesus is, is sharing here. And that, that may not be the most important point to proclaim this ag metaphor talking about diversity, but it is there. And there is a diversity and an abundance that, that, that Jesus is, is inviting us to. And I think, and which can further be built with, you know, the one thing that annoys me about John is there is no, there is no, you know, last supper, clear Eucharist. I know it's there, but like, that's the one thing that drives me nuts about John, but John is driving us, Wilson, as you said, to this, to this community that is serving. And the service is for all people. And it always has been since the days of Jesus. Well, there's so much more we could dive into here. Um, I'm, I feel like this is just this very beginning and I'd love to know what our listeners are thinking too. And we'll, we, um, there is some talk about having some reflection on Twitter about Lent two and four, if people would like to do that. Um, but I think it's time to go to hope. Yes. Yeah, I was ready to roll. So let's do it. And so we're going to end like we always do, um, asking one another in this season of Lent, as we approach this you know, very different um, and yet spiritually rich season that we find ourselves in, what is giving each of you hope? It's appropriate we start with our guest, yeah? If, if, if vulnerability is, you know, the condition for injury and intimacy, one of the things I think that is giving me hope is also one of the things that's, that's terrifying me is just how clear all of our vulnerability is right now. Um, but also I think that that is a space for, for opening. You know, it's come up several times, you know, that there's this kind of big transition happening as we, we begin to see perhaps what happens on the other side of the pandemic. But as everybody, but as people attuned to food and, and climate, you know, we know that this is not kind of back to normal, but that there's this other giant transition happening. But I am hopeful about kind of the, the different looks on people's faces I'm seeing. I'm concerned, um, but I'm hopeful about what, what's possible in this moment. Derek, what about you? Yeah, I, similarly to Wilson, um, I am having lots of conversations lately with people who are tapped out um, who are are running on empty who are hitting a wall and and they're admitting it 
and 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 to to Wilson's point, the vulnerability of like people are admitting it now that like this has all been too much. And I think it's because there's a little bit of light at the tunnel that people are are able to say that. Um, and and my hope continues to be. Um, my hope, my hope with Lent, as as it has been for much of this pandemic, is that we have um, just become so disillusioned with the way things were. Um, we've just become so disillusioned with the system and the systems that have made our our lives um, lonely and stressed and and broken and commodified to no end um, that we we are eagerly seeking a different way of being um, I, I, I I hold on to that hope and I know it won't I know it won't be everywhere um, but I think it's gonna be in a lot of places and I think it'll even be in some surprising places that we're, we're just aware of like this is broken and putting it back together is not worthwhile. Um, but we can take the broken pieces and build something better. Anna. Yeah, I think the thing that's giving me hope are these seeds that get cracked open. And um, I guess building on what both of you so far have shared, just this idea that while we're in the process of of things breaking or of acknowledging what was already broken, it feels, it feels, it is vulnerable. It feels hard. It's painful. It's difficult. And yet the hope is in that we're actually seeing things for what they are and that there's a, an honesty and a, um, a reality, a grappling with, with a reality that um, that gives me hope, and and I think, you know, in this, you know, there's a couple feet of snow outside my window, and um, I look at the gardens, and I'm thinking, you know, like it seems so far away, but that, you know, apparently I need to be planting my little tomato starts, you know, <laughs> you know, it's it's time, and that these these things, that there can be new life that grows out of. Of that which is broken open that there can be um not just a life as usual but actually a new plant that comes out of of that seed that's been cracked open and i feel hopeful about that both on a very practical level of that spring is coming and on a deeper um emotional and spiritual and broader systemic level that there is an opportunity is I don't think it's inevitable, but I think there's a possibility. There's a possibility for our systems to actually have a full reboot because we are seeing them broken open in such a way. And that if we, if we nurture that seed, if we nurture that way of being that there is, there's hope for another world, another way. What about you, Sam? Yeah. Um, I've just been, I've spent a lot of time with Ash Wednesday. Um, just, I put a lot of effort into it this year, um, just to try to find some way to celebrate it here. And I'm always drawn, like, I, I know we say you are dust and to dust you shall return as you put ashes on people's foreheads. 
um, that always really hits me hardest when I do it to my own kids. You know, that's a, that's always a hard thing to do. Um, but it but it feels like a very fatherly thing to do to to tell them the truth. You know, that to and to say this is this is who we are. Um, we are a part of our ecosystem. We are part of the ecosystems that have come before us, and we will return to the ecosystems and be part of that which comes after us. And so I wrestle with that for a couple of days, and then I'm always grateful for the story of Jesus' baptism, where it's like, you are my beloved child, and remembering that I, too, am part of the body of Christ. And so I hear those words spoken to me, and I just try to say them back to my people, you know, that, hey, yes, you are dust, and you are unbelievably loved. And, and I hear that being heard in ways that maybe it came off as hallmarkish or cliche in years past, and I hear folks actually giving some thought to whether that might be true sometimes maybe for the first time in their lives that, yeah, things are really busted up and I'm not all that I pretend to be. I am dust and yet I'm still beloved. And so that's where, that's where my, my hope is found right now, just being able to, and being able to accompany people in that journey. Um, and then also being able to receive the, receive that back when I'm feeling my own fragility and frailty to just have people say, Hey, we love you too. And it's okay. And that constant giving and receiving is what builds the beloved community. It's not, it's not just a, it's not just a thing that is a call to pastor. I give to somebody else. It is, it is a constant mutuality um, that I feel this year maybe more than I have at any other Lent slash Ash Wednesday um, in a long time. So I'm encouraged. Um, I'm, I'm discouraged in so many ways, but to at least hear the word love is is a welcome injection into what Lent usually feels like, which is just how horrible we are and how messed up our lives are, and we've got we've to do all these things to be put it back together. The word love is injected maybe more than ever before, and I'm grateful for that. Well, let's call it a day. Let's put a bookmark here. Um, but this has been really, really fun, um, and we'll ask our, uh, our listeners just pop some feedback. Like We've been talking about doing more of this, um, and we'd love to if it's something that our listeners would love love to love to hear more of. And so, um, Wilson, we want to thank you especially for coming and for being our uh, always our esteemed expert and uh, <laughs> and guide on this journey. Um, thank you as always. We just really value you as a conversation partner. So so thank thanks for coming and hanging out with us. Thanks for the invitation. I enjoyed the jam session. Good. <laughs> we'll look forward to more in the future. Yep. Anna, thank you. And we've already we had to say goodbye to Derek. So Derek says bye too. And so listeners, thanks so much, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Food and Faith Podcast. Our collaborators are Wake Forest School of Divinity, Plain Song Farm, the Garden Church, and the Keep Until. Editing is by Derek Weston and music by Paul Beamer. Follow along and keep up to date with the podcast on Facebook at Food and Faith Podcast. Twitter and Instagram at Food and Faith Pod or on our website at foodandfaithpodcast.org.